Good morning, everyone. I want to begin uh, this morning by looking at Galatians 5.22. It's a very famous verse. I'm sure most of you can say it by memory. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I was thinking that as we mature in Christ, as we have more and more years accumulate knowing him, that these things should be growing in our lives, right? And so I was in my mind's eye sort of playfully asking myself or the Lord, of, you know, what, what uh, grade, letter grade, he might give me these days for these various fruits. And so I thought of love and, and uh, the notion came to me that a good solid B, you know, a good solid B, it's a good start. And uh, then I said, well, you know, there, there's joy. And uh, I, I have a lot of joy, so the uh, sense that B-plus was about right came back. And then um, peace, love, joy, peace. And I also feel pretty peaceful and, and um, a lot less stressed most of the time. And so um, I thought of A-minus, A-minus. And it's good job, Jim, good job. And let's keep going. And so said, Lord, what about patience? And, and uh, he said, F. <laughs> and I said, uh, th- th- what? F? <laughs> yeah, F. Um, I told Dallas Henry last week that I was going to speak on patience this morning, and he, I didn't have a title for the message. He said, how about driving on the BA? <laughs> and uh, I thought that was pretty good. I also was texted by a friend named Mary Call, and, and she asked what I was preaching on. I said, patience, and she said, I can't wait. <laughs> of course, patience reminds me of snail jokes. I have to tell you one snail joke for those of you who haven't heard snail jokes. Um, there was a snail down in Texas last week, and he was assaulted on the road by a, a turtle just terribly beaten and he struggled to the to the police station and he was filling out a report and the arresting officer said can you describe the turtle and he said oh no it happened so fast <laughs> I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on patience um, I thought it might be fun to preach three or four hours on patience and see how you did. (laughs) But I think you'll agree with me that to be a true kingdom man or a kingdom woman, that patience is a much needed lesson in our day and time. There's a, a book that Joel preached on a long time ago called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. And he writes this, It's kind of a long quote, but I think 
I think you'll enjoy it. Between demands from work and family, our lives fall somewhere between full and overflowing. We multitask so much so that we are unaware we are doing three things at once. We admire people who are able to accomplish so much in so little time. Often they are our role models. At the same time, many of us are overscheduled, tense, addicted to hurry, frantic, preoccupied, fatigued, and starved for time. By the way, I read in another book that Africans say that Americans have watches but no time. Um, cramming as much as possible onto our to-do lists, we battle life to make the best use of every spare minute we have. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah. Yet not much changes. Our overproductivity becomes counterproductive. We end our days exhausted from work and raising children. And then our free time, quote unquote, on weekends becomes filled with more demands in an already overburdened life. We listen to sermons and read books about slowing down and creating margin in our lives. We read about the need to rest and recharge our batteries. Our workplaces offer seminars on increased productivity through replenishing ourselves, but we can't stop. And if we aren't busy, we feel guilty that we waste time and are not productive. We go through the motions of doing so many things as if there is no alternative way of spending our days. It's like being addicted, only it's not to drugs or alcohol, but instead it's to tasks, to work, to doing. Any sense of rhythm in our day, daily, weekly, or yearly lives has been swallowed up in the blizzard of our tasks. Sounds pretty familiar, at least to me. My daughter Hannah and I have told you before that my mother is a list maker. She'll wake up in the middle of the night and jot things down uh, to remember the next day. And I picked up that habit, not in the middle of the night necessarily, but at least I'm a list maker. And I get great joy out of making a list in the morning and prioritizing and then picking you know, the top three that I have to accomplish. But the day is kind of built around trying to cross as many things off this list as I can and with great relish. And I discovered my daughter Hannah is the same way. And Hannah said, oh yeah, and she said, do, and if you do something that's not on the list, do you, do you write it on the list and then cross it off? <laughs> and I said, yes, I do. <laughs> I see that hand, <laughs> several hands. But Hannah takes it too far. She said, when I want to write something on the list that wasn't on the list in the morning, I have to find the same color ink before I cross it off. I said, no, no, that's, that's a step too far. Somebody said, the faster I go, the behinder I get. And uh, every once in a while, if you're like me, you just totally lose it. And you go into a moment or a day or a few hours of what can only be described as frenzied impatience. I had one of these a week ago Thursday when we were leaving my mom and dad's cabin up in northern Minnesota. I had the whole 
day kind of scheduled in my mind about cleaning up the cabin and getting out on time and driving down to Duluth and what kind of an evening we'd have in Duluth and it would just be wonderful. But I didn't want to set myself up, so I knew that the best possible time we could leave would be 1.30 in the afternoon. And so I said to myself, okay, Jim, don't set yourself up. You know it won't be 1.30, so let's shoot for 3. Well, I found myself at 4.30 <laughs> in a frenzied, impatient, angry, adrenaline-filled rush, tossing, actually heaving my lawnmower into the back of my pickup truck, as, long, as well as everything else that was going into the truck. And uh, I thought of a time when I was mowing this elderly woman's yard here in Tulsa, and across the street there was a young man belaboring with his lawnmower. He was just pulling, pulling, and pulling, and cussing, and pulling, <laughs> pulling, and pulling. And I was chuckling and laughing at him. And I just put my head down and kept mowing until I heard this large kaboom, an explosion. And I looked up, and there was all this black smoke and flames. He had dumped gasoline on the mower and lit it on fire. <laughs> I thought, that's my kind of guy. <laughs> and so, we read uh, in Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 36, it says, for you have need of patience. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We do have need of patience. And that's the title of the sermon this morning for you I have need of patience. Well, what is patience exactly? You know, patience, our English word for patience comes from a Latin word that means, interestingly, to suffer. It sounds about right. Webster's Dictionary says it means bearing uh, pains or trials calmly and without complaint. And it has the uh, connotation of having a cheerful and hopeful attitude in the midst of bearing up under adversity. I like Bill Gothard's definition. Patience is accepting a difficult situation from God without giving him a deadline to remove it. Patience is accepting a difficult situation from God without giving him a deadline to remove it. One of the main Greek words for patience is hupomone, uh, which literally means a bearing under or a hopeful and cheerful waiting. A second Greek word, 
makathumeo. Notice how those just roll off my tongue. <laughs> Means to be long-tempered. Long-tempered. In other words, you can go a long time before you get ticked off uh, with these frustrations. The King James captures this word by using the term long-suffering. So if you use the King James Version, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience under trial with a cheerful attitude. When you think about it, every Christian is waiting on God for something, something personal. No one escapes the lessons of patience. Maybe for you it's praying for a wayward child or an unsaved parent or maybe you're an older saint and you just want to go home to heaven. Some are waiting for a healing, some for a new job, some for a financial blessing. One Christian author said, Waiting is God's school, wherein we learn some of his most valuable lessons. Another theologian said, we must wait for God long, meekly, in the wind and the wet, in the thunder and lightning, in the cold and the dark. We must wait and he will come. He never comes to those who do not wait. That's interesting. So with this introduction, I'd like to drill down a little deeper with you into why it is that we are told so directly and forcefully that we have need for patience. First, I'd like you to consider that God is patient, and he calls us into his patience. Um, Romans 15.5 says, Now may the God of patience, the God of patience and comfort, grant you to be like-minded. Have you ever thought about the fact that God is perfectly and completely at rest? Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? That he's not in a hurry, he's not anxious, he's not panicking, he's not stressed, he is at perfect rest within himself. He's absolutely at peace, and he knows already how will he will address those personal things that we are asking of him. And uh, interestingly, the scriptures say that he calls us into that rest and into his patience. Second Thessalonians 3, 5, now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? And 1 Timothy 6.11, But you, man of God, flee these things and pursue. There's a list, and in that list is patience. Several scriptures commend to us to enter his stillness, to be still. Psalm 37.7, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Exodus 14, 14 is where the children of Israel were backed up against the Red Sea and Pharaoh's chariots are riding down upon them and 
everybody's freaking out. And do uh, you remember what the Lord says? He says, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be still. And then Psalm 46.10, one that we all know well, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we look at the wind and the waves of the evil in this world around us, and we are terrified. But God rises up in our hearts. He rebukes the wind and the waves. He chastises us for our fear and lack of faith. And as we strengthen ourselves in the Lord, we say, no, this is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Amen? Amen. It's strange to say this. Nevertheless, I think it's true. We need to develop patience with God. We need patience with God. Adele Bestavros, Bestavros excuse me, was an Egyptian lawyer and preacher in the Coptic church, and he made this profound statement. He said, patience with others is love. Patience with self is hope. Patience with God is called faith. Patience with God, when you're waiting for that thing, that most important thing to you, that most painful thing, when you're waiting for that thing, patiently, with that cheerful and devoted spirit to the living God, that is called faith. So we all have a choice to face when we are in this life with adversity, waiting on an unanswered prayer. And the choice is this. Will we, be, will we become terrified, angry and bitter, decide God doesn't care or has withdrawn or is a cosmic jester, promising help but actually relishing and gleefully laughing at our naive hopelessness and helplessness, or we can adopt the posture of the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk interestingly means one who embraces or one who clings to God. Let me refresh your memory about his story. He was ministering to Judah at a time when Judah was very wicked and um, he sensed Judah was about to be invaded as God's judgment. And he cried out to the Lord and he said, How long, O Lord, will I call for help and thou wilt not hear? I cry out to thee violence and yet thou dost not save. He knew that temptation to bitterness and anger and fear. And then the Lord speaks to him and says, all right, I'm going to answer your prayer. The Babylonians are going to come and invade Judah. And he falls to his knees in terror. 
uh, and this, this, here's these, this evil people coming to invade God's people. That was not the answer he was expecting. So now he's confused and uh, bewildered. But his response to that is incredible. He says this, that the righteous in every generation must live by faith. And so he decides to praise the person and the power and the plan of God, though he's confused as, as can be by why God is doing what he's doing. Though the invasion uh, of Judah terrifies him, he still exalts the Lord, saying this, I heard the word of the Lord and my inward parts trembled. The sound, at the sound my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. And then he goes into this very famous passage, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet, and he makes me walk on the high places. Isn't that beautiful? No matter what's going on, Habakkuk's posture was, I will praise the purpose of the person and the plan of the living God, even when I'm confused and don't understand. What enemy power has invaded your life these days or the life of the ones you love? Is it sickness? Is it rebellion? Is it an unsaved loved one who simply refuses to believe? Sometimes we're gripped by terror, but I want to say to you, Hang on to God. Cling to God. Embrace the lessons of patience that he has for you as you wait upon him. Enter into the rest and the patience of God with that thing that is most troubling to you. Have faith and cling to him. Remember the prophet Habakkuk and the posture that we can join him in. God is patient And we are called to enter into his patience. And patience with God is called what? Faith. That's the first great truth. The second great truth about patience is it perfects our character, doesn't it? And uh, it finds favor with God. Here's just a, a few scriptures to talk about how patience builds us up and strengthens us. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's the patient bearing up under adversity that teaches us to walk by faith, and not by sight. 
Here's a spiritual secret, I think. Not a secret, but just something that's somewhat hidden from us. The things that are the most precious in this world are the things that must be waited for with patience. Let me give you some examples. The growing of a baby in its mother's womb. There are certain things we like to hurry in life, almost everything. We like to manipulate it, change it. Science can even manipulate some of these things. But consider the time it takes for that fresh garden ripe tomato or that perfect red apple that's crisp and juicy. In James chapter 5, verse 7, preciousness and patience are linked. Listen to this. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. That's precious, isn't it? Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil. being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. A long-awaited healing is precious, isn't it? A marriage that has endured, and the two people, like Tom and Jody, forged together through trials, adversity, waitings, children, that is a precious thing. And then there's always a perfectly executed grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> I always ask my wife to make me a grilled cheese sandwich because I can't not hurry it. You know, I turn up the heat, it's burned, the cheese isn't melted, but she takes her time and does everything just so over a nice medium heat, the cheese is melted, the toast is golden brown. You gotta have her make you a grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> the things most precious in this world are things that need to be waited for with patience. But a strong faith that has been forged by patience, the scriptures say is a very precious thing. I have uh, paraphrased 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. Even though you have been distressed by various trials, your faith is more precious than gold, having been tested and proved and resulting in praise and glory and honor, being given to Jesus Christ now and will also be given at his revelation. This strength of faith, faith is a very precious fruit of patience. We sing the song, strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. As we wait upon the Lord, as we, what? Wait upon the Lord. So there's purpose in all this waiting. Lamentations 3, 25 and 26 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. 
It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. I have family members where that verse is so applicable to me that I wait silently for the salvation of the Lord to visit that house. Isaiah 40, verse 31, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Godly patience perfects our character, makes our faith very strong, and is very precious to God. One last point. It's a question, really. We're told to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel with patience. We're told to put on a heart of patience. We're told to pursue patience. We're told to imitate those who display patience. So the question is, how do we grow in patience? Well, whatever you do, don't ask God for more patience. You never want to do that. It's the one prayer that he answers immediately. And if he doesn't answer, it's still a win for him. Right? Either way, you're going to lose patience. I mean, you're going you're to get your prayer answered. But seriously, here are some tools and goals that I think are, are, are helpful to me at this point in time, and I want to share them with you real quickly. First of all, begin to see impatience as a reliable indicator that you are drifting from your very immediate connection with God. After all, Galatians 5.22 says that the fruit of the Spirit, these fruits of the Spirit are because of the, the Holy Spirit in you. And so if we begin demonstrating the opposite, we need to reconnect with the living God his rest, and his patience when it comes to patience. So, number one, begin to see impatient, impatience as a reliable indicator that you have drifted from your immediate connection to God. Number two, when impatient or anxious, I have been helped lately by reminding myself that God is perfectly at rest, perfectly at peace. And just somehow bringing that to my mind and my spirit and whispering a short prayer, Lord, help me to enter your patience, help me to enter your rest, has really helped me a lot. Um, I've been doing that before leading worship, and it's helped me fight anxiety. And then third... We can recite Philippians 4, 6, and 7. What a great verse. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, with supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Um, for me, behind impatience is anxiety. The fear that I'm not going to get to the next thing or my list for the day. And after a period of anxiety, I get angry. And that's when that frenzied impatience 
kicks in and lawnmowers start to fly through the air. <laughs> so Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing, helps me with that. And then a couple of long-term notions or ideas that I want to focus on a little bit more. One is connecting with God periodically through the day, not just having a good morning devotion, and then I'm on, I'm on cruise, Jim's cruise control. You know, I, I want to check in with the Lord and, and try to drink in his presence. Some people have found it helpful to have a structure, like to do that first thing in the morning, nine, noon, three, six, nine. That's an ancient uh, spiritual discipline called the daily office. It was named that by St. Benedict in the six, 600s, I believe, maybe 500s. But um, I want to explore that idea. I do try to cultivate the presence of the Lord uh, in my life, kind of the Brother Lawrence approach. But I, I want to think about this structure a little bit to stay more connected with the Lord each and every moment of the day. And then finally, if you're like me, um, maybe you've never quite settled on how to honor the Lord on the Sabbath. I don't think we're under law like uh, the Old Testament, uh, many of the ceremonial laws, and yet to honor the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments, seem pretty important. And yet our culture uh, totally runs against that. And so I think each of us have to work out how do we honor the Lord on the Sabbath? How do we fulfill that fourth commandment? And so I want to think, do some more thinking about that. Now in conclusion, if all else fails and I find myself in one of those moments of just out of control, frenzied impatience, I've determined that I will stay far away from matches, gasoline, heavy machinery, lawnmowers, fireworks, and all other forms of combustible material. May God be praised. Amen. Thank you, Jim.